the American uh, freedom or the American rebellion uh, from England was originally centered around the trivium and classical education. Okay. So when people are in uh, school today, you know, when when they come up with some sort of a, a lesson plan for the year, is there someone who's actually saying, hey, we don't want these people smarter? Let's like dumb yes. the shit down. Yeah, and you can well, see that. Where is that you, happening? Where well, is that go happening? To, if people want evidence of that, they can study Charlotte Iserbeet's book. Do you believe this, Brian? No. Abs and a six pack. It's Abs in a Six-Pack, episode 67. Today we're joined by Jan Irvin. It was a great chat we had. We Noah and I were on a pre-stream and already just chatting away, and Jan popped in, and we just jumped right into the conversation. So there was really no introduction, and that's why I'm making this introduction now. Be sure to check out Jan's website that's linked in the show notes of this episode. And uh, stay tuned after the episode for a couple clips that provide uh, some context for some of the things we were talking about. Thanks again for joining us, Mr. Jan Irvin. Really fascinating conversation. I hope you all enjoy. Of course, he, you know, is into promoting the whole uh, lizard people psyop thing. Hmm. Uh that's just one aspect, but he, let's see, he was influenced heavily by Alice Bailey and Annie Besant. Uh, Annie Besant is a member of the Fabian Society. Uh, Theosophical, one of the founders, I think, of the Theosophical Society. Heavy promoter of uh, veganism, uh, which, of course, is eugenics. And, uh, you know, the brain is 77% cholesterol, runs fat. The, the reproductive system is cholesterol. Uh, vegan women, for instance, enter menopause as early as age 21. Um, <laughs> I'm, mar- I'm married to a vegan. She, uh, she, she's pregnant, so I've been, trying, I've been sneaking her meat when she's not looking, putting in her food. Like well, the, the issue is going to be, you know, detrimental to the development of the child because the child needs all of that stuff. In fact, that's why for the first week after the baby's born, it's fed uh, pure cholesterol, as the name sounds, from the breast milk. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to be careful with that. It's just not good for child development, especially mental development. Uh, if you yeah. look way back, even as early as Plato. He talks about uh, veganism being used for social control to lull the masses. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I've done a lot of shows exposing veganism. It's basically virtue signaling. It's a, sort of like a moral superiority complex. There's no for historical sure. evidence to its benefit. It's kind of something that's practiced by people who live in cities and work in cubicles and don't understand where food comes from. Uh, people that do hard, laborious work, they cannot survive on a vegan diet. You have to eat like every 40 minutes to an hour. And it's also a very inflammatory diet because you're eating a lot of grains and legumes. And grains and legumes are the two most toxic things we can basically eat other than 
sugar and and corn syrup, high, high fructose corn syrup. So legumes are toxic. Uh, you know, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, I was a yeah. vegan for years, and I landed in the ICU for almost a week, and Ooh. it almost killed me. And uh, you know, the doctor, uh, you know, <laughs> the, I had I had been to twelve doctors here in the United States, and then I went down to Peru, and they had a Harvard trained doctor that was used to working with uh, uh, gastro patients due to the Peruvian jungle. And so he was my doctor down there, Harvard trained, and he figured stuff out. And then when I got back, <clears throat> I met and interviewed a guy by the name of Dr. Bill Davis. He wrote a book, famous book called Wheat Belly. And he got me off of the grains and the nonsense diet back onto a high fat, basically keto diet. Uh, my health turned completely around. I had been in and out of hospitals more than 40 times over 15 years. And since wow. I went keto and high fat diet, I haven't been back in the hospital for the 11 going on 12 years now. What wow, do you think impressive. of the, uh, the, the carnivore diet that Peterson and all these guys keep talking about? A lot of, you know, I know doctors that are doing it and they're seeing their numbers uh, turn dramatically better and it's totally contrary to all of the propaganda. So, you know, the whole healthy whole grain thing has caused the biggest inflammatory disease and obesity epidemic like humanity's ever seen. Um, I used to live in Europe and you would see maybe one obese person every few months and I'd, I'd land, you know, at Los Angeles International, get off the airplane and I would see more obese people walking through the terminal than in an entire summer living in Europe. And, uh, you know, and they always ate, a, in Europe, they ate a high fat, high protein diet but the the grains are the most inflammatory if you think of diet rather than an emotional thing you got to think of diet as you know inflammatory versus non-inflammatory what foods cause inflammation what foods don't and grains and legumes and a lot of different nuts especially like the bean nuts like peanuts and cashews are some of the most uh inflammatory uh, foods we can eat so yeah they've really messed with people's heads and there's a whole agenda to promote veganism and vegetarianism is healthy and it's not um you know so i went through that whole thing in my early 20s i bought into it and then uh by the time i was 30 i started waking up and eating meat at least once a week and now I'm pretty close to carnivore, you know, I'll eat salads and stuff every once in a while. But I know people, I know a guy who weighed more than 300 pounds and uh, went full carnivore and, and eating like 30, 40 eggs a day, no joke. And he uh, lost like 180 pounds. Wow. Impressive. You, you know, now yeah, he's probably sense. 170, 180. And, you, you know, he has to pull out his driver's license to show you how obese he really used to be. Because when you look at him, 
he's a skinny guy and he looks healthy. He doesn't look like he was ever extremely obese, but he was on a strict vegetarian vegan diet when he was obese. And I did a bunch of shows, like I said, on keto and, and grains and how poisonous they are. And, uh, so he cut it all out of his diet and switched to keto immediately lost all the weight. Many of those vegan diets are uh, high in soy, correct? Yeah. And soy is very high in, in phytoestrogen. And so it wreaks havoc, uh, especially like baby boys, you know, soy formula and this kind of stuff, but it can lead to breast cancer in women. Uh, they use it as a cheap filler. Uh, initially, I believe that um, it was used in the monasteries in Asia to keep the men docile because... <laughs> it's like fluoride. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, you're, you're, you're having a steady diet of estrogen, you know? Right. So, yeah, so, you know, and that's in the legume family. So soy... You know, most legumes are not very healthy. The The healthiest legume is pinto beans, ironically, which, you know, every Mexican restaurant is always sold. So maybe there's a point to that. Um, and then there's really no grain that's healthy. So, you know, and if you like think of kale, that's a like big vegan staple. Kale is high in, uh, what is it, oxalic acid or one of the other ones that causes uh, uh, kidney stones and all kinds of stuff. You Wait, know, they're, kale's not good for you? Dude, I hate the taste of kale, you but have I eat it to sometimes cook to it. try to be You healthy. have to cook kale just like you do spinach. Um, if it's raw, it's not really good for you at all. Holy shit, dude, you're blowing my mind. But my wife's a vegan, so... Uh, let's be nice. Let's be nice. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if she's pregnant, you really got to, you know, uh, get her away from that. I've done shows on on that and child development and stuff over the years, and it's just not a good thing. You know, she has to have fat intake. You know, not only that, but plant proteins are a lesser quality. Um, you know, she's got to stop thinking of diet as an emotional thing. Or is it like some form of false evolutionary thing? Mm -hmm. um, you know, diet is nutrition and, and based on facts. And I fell for all of that stuff too. And like I said, it nearly killed me. But you want your baby to be healthy and, and strong and have strong cognitive abilities. And not only that, but if, you're, if the diet is low in fat and protein, you can end up with all kinds of crooked teeth and dental problems right. and all kinds of stuff. Well, she, she she eats very healthy as far as be, uh, quote unquote healthy. I guess you could say. I mean, she's she's not one of those vegans that's eating like candy and you know vegan chips and you know all that shit. She's you know she she eats like organic and all that. But yeah, I'll uh, she'll she'll hear this episode so and I'll talk. Well, to you, about you know it. the thing is is there really isn't a healthy vegan diet. You know, I did all of the quote unquote healthy stuff too, but the main staples are beans and grains, and those are extremely inflammatory foods. You know, it's like right. when I interviewed Bill Davis, for instance, uh, he, uh, the author of Wheat Belly, at that time, and this was 10 years ago, he, he had made his patient sign a contract when he took them on, and he was a cardio, uh, he's a cardiologist, and he would, um, 
have them sign this contract that they wouldn't eat weed and grains for three months before surgery. He hadn't done any surgeries in four or five years. Oh. So, you know, they do a bait and switch on everybody. They tell you that meat, butter, and eggs is what's causing heart attacks and obesity and whatnot. It's complete nonsense. It's carbohydrates. And, and here's the thing, is the worst wheat is the whole grain stuff. So the bleached white flour that they enrich with nine, you know, with nine nutrients, riboflavin and niacin and all of that stuff, that is actually much healthier for you than the whole grain stuff. You are blowing my. I didn't. I didn't know about any of this. You're blowing my mind here. Uh, I, I want to yeah, backtrack. That's, that's literally like you've seen this massive health epidemic in the last, you know, fifteen twenty years, especially. You know, mm. but you could go back and you can look at photos of people on the beach in the 70s before veganism and whole grain was a thing. You won't find, you know, go back and look at photos of the beach. You won't find anybody who's obese. That's all a new thing. You yeah, know, when I was a kid, if, if you saw somebody obese somewhere, it was a shocker. You know, it just, it wasn't normal. Yeah, you got courtesy scooters on every, uh, <laughs> all over the place in grocery stores now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, you know, here's the thing is, like I said, there's just no way to eat, be a healthy vegan, in my opinion. You know, you could do this, uh, this soy, I forget what it's called. They ferment the soy and it turns into this really nasty stuff that you can get vitamin K2 from and stuff. But, or you can just eat a steak and eggs and <laughs> get your vitamin K2 if you... You know, vegans have to eat, take a lot of vitamins and supplements and stuff like that. But if you're eating a healthy diet, you don't need all of that. You know, it's not about virtue signaling and, you know, it's about your health and, and in your instance, your child's health, your future child. So, you know, yeah. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You know, don't kill the messenger, as they say. But yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, going back to uh, David Icke, we got way away from that. Talk about long segue. Uh, I guess I, I should probably introduce the episode. We kind of just started talking, but uh, we're broadcasting this live. This is a new live son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to you, you, you brought up, um, you brought up, Ike in an email and you said I yeah go go through exactly what the problem is with him because I to me like do you think he's a disinformation agent yeah well on you know and I like, went and sat at one of his eight hour lectures and stuff one time out in uh, Santa Monica and you know I've heard his spiel and stuff you know and here's the thing is most disinfo people they dress uh, they usually go by about 66% facts and 33% lies. Would Alex so Jones if it was fall just all category? lies, it would be too easy to figure out, you know? So they use a, a mixture of facts and, and, and lies. But, um, so he was heavily influenced by, uh, Annie Besant. Annie Besant was a member of the Fabian Society uh, she was a member of the Theosophical Society, uh, which is, of course, um, oh, what's her name? Oh, hold on a second. Let me, I'm just pulling it up here. You know, the, I'm just drawing a blank here, so i got to look it up in the database. Uh, Helena Blavatsky, the occultist. 
Um, but Annie Besant, she, uh, that's, and this is how we got into vegetarianism. She promoted that. She promoted the New Age movement, which I've exposed extensively for years as a PSYOP. She was a big influence on uh, uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti, who worked with Aldous Huxley and helped create mm -hmm. the whole uh, MK Ultra thing that we'll probably get into later. Duncan Trussell loves that guy. He's always on like, Brian. Hey, man. She was a big influence on Brian Geisen, who is CIA and MK Ultra, uh, or John uh, Clifford Brian Geisen. Um, you know, but they all they all run in the same circles. They're all doing the same stuff. Uh, Annie Besant, uh, or sorry, David Icke, was also influenced by uh, Alice Bailey. And then Alice Bailey was another theosophist. Uh, she kind of influenced the whole idea of the age of Aquarius and uh, did something, uh, part of something called the unlikely occultist. And uh, she was behind the creation of the Lucius Trust or Lucifer Trust that uh, came to be or came out of the United Nations. So it's kind of a, you know, this this whole agenda running there. But uh, I believe David Icke was also tied to Jimmy Savile. So there's oh, another really? interesting one. Yeah, that's not good. That guy was yeah. bad. Yeah. So, so that's a yeah, that's some bad stuff. But uh, anyway, you know, just to give a little summary of uh, some of my background research on Icke and his stuff is in my. You know, I've I've linked some stuff to him on uh, in the database that people can check out on my website logosmedia.com. He also promoted the uh, reptilian aliens thing, which is also from Zachariah Sitchin, and that's a whole other psyop. And then that's promoted by the Farsight Institute, which is like all these CIA guys who promote all of this uh, stuff, like Courtney Brown, etc. And they. They promote remote viewing and all of this fake stuff. I exposed in it in my MK Ultra research that the same guys who were promoting MK Ultra and and whatnot were also doing the uh, UFO research. So like um, the whole Betty and Barney Hill thing was promoted by John G. Fuller. He was working uh, directly with uh, Dr. Andrea Puharich. Uh, who was working on MKUltra, and I expose in my research that John G. Fuller was likely doing a 15-year follow-up study on Pont Saint-Esprit in France, which was an OSS uh, ergotamine experiment, a pre-CIA MKUltra experiment on an entire village in France that killed a bunch of people and whatnot, but uh, that, you know, then he creates the Betty and Barney Hill thing, and he wrote uh, John G. Fuller wrote uh, The Incident in Exeter and The Interrupted Journey and uh, all of this this stuff. Rigo, the surgeon with the rusty knife, which was actually with Dr. Andrea Purich. So he's tied in directly to these people within CIA and military intelligence doing uh, uh, psyops. So then, you know, we're supposed to trust this whole, you know, Farsight Institute and grays and aliens and reptilians and stuff and when you look at 
David Icke's background with the Theosophy stuff and Alice Bailey and Annie Besant and stuff. Uh, some of these other guys in there are tied to these same groups and they promote these same ideas. So then it starts, you know, making sense uh, where that agenda uh, comes from. So well, you, you do a you do a really good job listing sources. You uh, t your research is really good. And logosmedia.com will be linked in the show notes for this episode and people should check it out and support you. But when somebody like an Alex Jones or David Icke is spreading disinformation, do you think it's intentional or are they just misinformed? Like, how does that work? Well, I wouldn't put Alex Jones and David Icke in the same category at all. I think Alex Jones is probably about 80, 90 percent correct. Thank you for your courage. In, in most of his stuff. Uh, you know, of course everybody's wrong on occasion we're all human right but you know maybe he spreads intentional disinfo stuff sometimes i don't know uh i've been on his show a number of times um i've talked to him on the phone a number of times and you know probably a half a dozen or a dozen times and you know he seems in my personal interactions with him, which isn't the whole picture, but in my personal interactions with him, he seems always very interested in getting to the truth of things. And in my own personal interactions with him, he's uh, been pretty good at admitting when he was wrong on stuff. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I, I'm going to have to, because I've looked at a lot of your research, especially regarding McKenna, um, and uh, guys like that. But I haven't looked at your Ike research, so I'm going to have to look at that because Ike came across as very genuine when I talked to him. But, you know, maybe I'm just uh, not that good a judge of people. But I want to backtrack a little bit if we can and talk about because uh, it took me a while to find it. I had to do some digging, but I finally found it an obscure link on BitChute, your band's Joe Rogan appearance. Yeah. And Joe. Did you find it on my channel up there or? On uh on your channel on Bitshoot, I the only one I could find was the um, Alex Jones appearance, which was also that was back when Alex was on. It had this vendetta against Joe. He's like, Jesus told me to destroy Joe Rogan. Yeah, and that's when well, he had you, you on. Know, yeah, and then uh, and then a few weeks it's later, like, he was on Rogan's show, and they were buddies again. That really yeah, that was weird. Yeah, well, and I have a lot more background on that than probably anybody else besides uh, Alex on that whole situation. Well, but, I mean, if you want to get into it, that'd, nah, that'd be awesome. I'll, I'll avoid that for now. That's for okay. another day. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the, the reason I bring up the Rogan episode is because I remember watching that when it was new, you know, but, and I didn't, that was probably the first time I was introduced to you. But, man, I, I finally went back and watched it because it was, you know, it's banned from everything. They didn't put it on Spotify, they took it off YouTube. And so when I found that again, it was even worse than I remembered, man. Like before you hopped in it's here, Noah and I were just talking about. It's one of the two or three. So I've done like a thousand interviews, probably maybe seven, eight hundred thousand interviews on other shows over the years. And I would say that is one of the worst. That's probably the top two or three worst interviews I've ever had. And Joe Rogan and I were friends up at that up to that point for uh, eight years. And he totally threw me under the bus on that and was a total jackass 
<laughs> and uh, you know, he see one thing that he lies about now is when I started my show back in 2008, a few months later, he calls me and I, I'm talking to him on the phone one day and I tell him I started a podcast and he's like, really, really, really? <laughs> and then he's like, you know, well, maybe I'll start a show. And, you know, today he uses the excuse that he used to be on that news radio sitcom or whatever it was way back, but that's total BS. He and I had a conversation during the conversation, he said he might, you know, he was think, you know, it triggered him to think about starting his own podcast. Then he calls me a couple months later. Hey, dude, I, I got my podcast going. I want to have you on sometime. And then he waits till like a year, year and a half later to finally get me on. It was actually he waits till 2011 to have me on. It was uh, episode number 119. But uh he got the idea to start that sh that show from me. Then he took a whole bunch of my research and then threw me under the bus. And when I first started my show, I started out interviewing 65 of the world's leading, air quotes, uh, psychedelic experts. And, uh, you know, and I realized during this project, and I was turning all of these interviews into a very large thousand page book project. And during the project, I realized that everybody was full of crap and that they were frauds. And I started realizing that the whole psychedelic thing was MKUltra and I'm transcribing all of these interviews. I'm pulling up all of their citations and looking over everything. And I'm just like, holy crap, something's not right here. So I back away from it in, in 2010, 2011, I start backing away from the whole psychedelic field, ethnobotany, ethnomycology, et cetera. And I start investigating Wasson published an extensive article against Gordon Wasson in 2012. But I brought out, you know, tried to show all of this evidence on Rogan's show, and he interrupts to say a dick joke, him and Redband, Brian Redband. Oh, my God. Interrupts you know, to I, tell a dick joke uh, every time I bring up any information. There were several and, points where that happened, too. And there was one, there was a couple of really egregious ones, like uh, the obvious idea that you brought up, and it's totally obvious to anybody with two brain cells to rub together that they're intentionally dubbing, dumbing us down with the American education system. Yeah. And Rogan says, like, what? Well, that's, that's stupid. I don't believe that. And he's like, you believe that, Brian? And Brian goes, no. And I've yeah. met Brian Redband, dude. That guy's retarded. I mean, he's he was nice to me, and I smoked yeah, with him and I've, stuff. I've but I've like, met him a number of times. I've yeah. hung out with all – you know, I used to hang out with Rogan – backstage at the uh comedy store in la like all the time dude you know i used yeah. to hang out with all those la comedians back in like uh early 2000s and stuff you know and rogan used to want to get me on stage and on open mic night and he thought i would be a great comedian stuff i just was never up for it but then when i started exposing all this stuff he totally freaking turned on me and he stole all of my work, my earlier work on psychedelics, and then turned himself into the poster boy for psychedelics. And then just promoted psychedelics and Terrence McKenna bullcrap and, and uh, DMT and all that stuff. So when I began to wake up that it was all a psyop and expose it, you know, I would call him up. I would email him, dude, you got to check this out. And he was like, dude, you're off the deep end. And he would just ad hominem attack me and he would never look at it. And then, you know, mm -hmm. it culminated into that show. And then I left his house saying, wow, I'm never 
you know, being friends with that douche again. And, uh, you know, I was just, I was floored. And then not only that, but I had to drive four hours from my place to his and back. And I was stuck in traffic on the way back from his place. No, it may have been six hours driving that day, but I was stuck in traffic for hours on the way home from that interview with him, uh, leaving his house. And I was freaking floored and pissed off the whole way, you know, and I was just like, oh my God, that son of a bitch. Well, you handled yeah, it like imagine. a champ because we just re we both just rewatched that r old Rogan episode, and you like you came across as very class a class mm -hmm. act, and and Red Band was his usual dumb self. But Rogan, man, like that was one that was he's bad sometimes, but that was the worst I've ever seen, and I think it's because yeah. well, he was, you know another you know another person he throws under the bus all the freaking time is uh, Eddie Bravo. Yeah, And, uh, you know, Eddie Bravo is a good guy. I still talk to him every once in a while, and he and I have hung out a few times. But, uh, like, man, Rogan just, you know, like, Eddie will bring up stuff that's actually pretty factual. He may not word it the best or present it the best, mm -hmm. but he's got a pretty good grasp on it. And then Rogan just, like, you know, ridicules him and stuff. And it's like, you know what? Come on, dude. I'll never forget so, that this episode that he did with Eddie um, – it was the first time I've ever seen this happen where Eddie Bravo was talking about uh, Obama getting caught wiretapping Trump, like early into the Trump presidency. They did this yeah. episode and Rogan was like, I want to hear about this and the uh, and the FISA court and all this, but I really need to take a leak. And then they cut it because it was right after they stopped doing the live episodes. And they cut yeah. it, and then they come back, and it was a whole new subject. And I was, <laughs> it's like, all right, you had to talk with Eddie that we're not going to talk about this, didn't you? Yeah, probably. You know, and I've, I, you know, basically Rogan uses Eddie as his whipping boy, and the irony is Eddie would kick his ass. Eddie's so awesome. You know, but uh, yeah, it would be actually. But <laughs> you know what's the the funny thing is is I received over the next week after episode 119 on the Joe Rogan pod, Joe Rogan experience show, I received over a thousand emails over the next week from his audience saying what a douche he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That didn't surprise me at all. Cause he, he was a total douche. And it, yeah. what's, you know, uh, it, it took me like two months to get through all the freaking emails. There were so many of them. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, uh, well, I, it, I agree with that, man. The reason the reason I uh, first reached out to you is because our, we did our whole first episode, Noah and I, on MK Ultra. Uh, later on, we did a Terrence McKenna episode, and you're you kept popping up in our research, or you would be really unfairly smeared by people like Dennis McKenna or, or Rogan, um, yeah. and and so you, you kind of like inadvertently became a part of our show as far as your research went and um it, it, just total ad hominem attacks from mckenna rogan and uh and then of course we played you know last year early last year we played some of your alex jones appearance and you you've just kind of been woven into a lot of the topics we talk about so um I guess for the people listening, if you want to get into Terrence McKenna for a little bit, because of course we played the clip you you uh, brought to my attention early on was the uh, McKenna clip of him talking about you know there's too many men and we should have seventy five percent women and you know they should 
you know, use tax incentives and birth control to limit male birth and all this shit. And that, and of yep. course, I was a big McKenna oh, fan. Oh, and but, I heard but that. But the and I was mushroom like, oh told him the mushroom told him to promote <laughs> those eugenics theories, right? Yeah. What That's the fuck? pretty damn specific from a mushroom. Oh yeah, dude. You know, and and Dennis McKenna's whole lie is that well, the mushroom recruited him, not yeah. the CIA. Never mind that McKenna <laughs> says he was on the run from the CIA or from the FBI. He was out of money, and then they recruited him. So then yeah. uh, Dennis spins <laughs> that into this whole hyperbole that it was the mushrooms that recruited him. It was, the CIA, it was the Celestial Intelligence Agency. I love that. Like, yeah. Bull. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, you, you, you have to be scraping like nuggle dragging uh, uh, Neanderthal or something to, be, to believe Dennis's crap but uh you know so let's let's start out with McKenna and I've got him up on my database screen in front of me here so Dennis McKenna's quote where he's constantly says you know the world is isn't stranger than you suppose it's stranger than you can suppose that quote comes from a guy by the name of uh, John B.S. Haldane, who was a part of the Eugenics Manifesto. So this is all eugenicism. All these psychedelics people, they're all into eugenicism and communism and stuff. He was a big, uh, a big communist. But uh, John B.S. Haldane and, you know, bullshit Haldane, uh, <laughs> his, uh, his original quote was, my own suspicion is that the universe is not only queerer than we suppose, but queerer than we can suppose. And then Terence's quote, it isn't just stranger than you suppose, it's stranger than you can suppose. Um, you know, so there's there's one, and, and there's a whole lot on John B.S. Haldane. He's published by the Left Book Club that I've exposed extensively. Uh, you know, the whole scientism, uh, again, the promotion of veganism, uh, you know, and like I said, veganism is, is eugenics. So women enter menopause as early as age 21 on, on a vegan diet. Uh, men and all of the testosterone problems that men are having, that's because of the low-fat, low-cholesterol diet. Testosterone is made from cholesterol. So You think it might you know, also be due to, like, all the chemicals and adjuvants and shit and water and yeah, vaccines? Yeah, maybe, but if you're eating a healthy diet, you know, like... You know, like I said, I, I went through all of that. I, I ate a porterhouse steak tonight for dinner, and I'm feeling great. Nice. But uh, uh, so all of that plays along with that same agenda with promoting uh, eugenics and population control, getting people to not be able to even have a family. Uh, he was, John B.S. Haldane was a member of the Heretic Society, uh, he won the Huxley Memorial Medal, uh, the you know, Darwin Medal, uh, all this stuff. Like I said, he was a member of the Communist Party. Terrence McKenna was a huge communist. Uh, friends of both, uh, Julian Huxley, the eugenicist, and Aldous Huxley, the architect of MKUltra. And uh, he was also pals with Theodosius Dobzhansky. <clears throat> Theodosius Dobzhansky is the father of uh, Sophie Dobzhansky, who married 
Professor E. Michael Coe that came up with the December 21, 2012 theory that McKenna later promoted. He had an, a different date originally, but Professor Michael Coe, it's even right on his wiki page that he was U.S. intelligence in, in Japan and worked for the CIA. So there is another one. And uh, he wrote The Secrets of the Maya and all this, this crap, but uh, he's, and he was big into H.P. Lovecraft, uh, but he's where the whole Terrence McKenna fake uh, end of the world, December 21st, 2012, end of the world crap that Daniel Pinchbeck later picked up and carried forth uh, came from. And then, you know, Daniel Pinchbeck has his own nefarious ties, influenced by, of course, Professor E. Michael Coe, uh, or Michael, uh, uh, Professor Emeritus Michael Coe, of course, he's influenced by the pedophile William S. Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg, who both lived at uh, his his house when he was a kid. Um, uh, his mom, Just, Joyce Johnson. If I could Johnson. interject real quick, what, what's the motivation for lying about the, uh, the end of the world? Is there like a... I'm just thinking. Well, it's just you know you you lead people down uh, a rabbit hole that's a dead end, and you're just wasting people's time. And it sounds spacey and new agey, and these clowns all promote that kind of crap, you know. Do you think so, they actually believed it? I guess is my question. Uh, I don't think they. No, I don't think they believe it. I think huh. they're intel. I think this, you know, just like I don't think that McKenna believes any of the crap he spews. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, they're selling it to the gullible masses. You know, Joyce, uh, Daniel Pinchbeck's mom, Joyce Johnson, or Glassman, was one of the beatniks. She worked for Miss Magazine promoting all this bullshit. She promoted feminism, which, of course, is the destruction of the family and creating false division between men and women and a breakup of the family and all that stuff. She promoted the whole uh, black macho thing against black men and and all of this stuff. And uh, she was there at, at Greenwich Village. She was pals with Gloria Steinem, who, you know, I've got right here, Gloria Steinem. I might quote, quote Miss Gloria Steinem, one of those so assisted who commented that the CIA, quote, wanted to do what we wanted to do, present a healthy, diverse view of the United States. I never felt that I was being dictated to at all, she said. And that's a quote from... DCI William Colby directly off of the CIA's own website. So that's <laughs> Joyce Johnson, Daniel Pinchbeck's mom, tying directly into feminism and Gloria Steinem being admitted, uh, you know, from the CIA admitting that they funded her, uh, etc. So, you, you know, you start to see a pattern with all of these clowns, if I may say so. But uh, so, okay, so we covered Theodosius Dobzhansky. Uh, he was another one who signed on to the uh, eugenics manifesto. So see, they, they don't attack the, the masses in just one way. They attack the masses in a thousand ways. Sure, it's computers, it's psychedelic drugs, it's feminism, it's vegetarianism, it's UNESCO, it's, you know, you name it. It's rock music, it's... Uh, fornicating in the mud to your graven images, or I mean your rock idols at Woodstock. Um, all of this different stuff, it's all together. It's not just one thing. So, you know, all of this stuff ties together and then you can see the larger 
picture of this stuff. But, uh, you know, so getting back to, to Terrence McKenna, of course, one of his biggest influences was Aldous Huxley, whom, again, headed MKUltra. Uh, Aldous, uh, and then uh, Alfred North Whitehead, who was, uh, who basically was the creator of what became the habit and novelty theory. Um, he was a big, he was big into agnosticism, which is funny because Thomas Henry Huxley created that word, the word agnostic. Uh, that was another psyop. Uh, all of these people, everything they promote is to attack the Bible and to promote the fall of humanity, the collapse of society. So, you know, if you think again about Terence McKenna and Daniel Pinchback's whole end of the world or the fall, and Terence McKenna said we we're going to fall into a new dark age, that's what they're talking about. And when you get in behind who their influences are, you can see uh, clearly where it's coming from. Um, let's see. Terence McKenna called himself a bard, and a bard from the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, let me see. I'm just looking for it here. I'm wondering, uh, yeah, bard, because uh, when well, I hear the word bard, bard, I think Lord of the Rings. Well, and, well, so, and there's one of the definitions from the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, it, they're basically paid by the king to tell stories, right? Paid by the king to tell stories. So Terrence McKenna was a storyteller and a bard who worked for mm. the CIA or FBI or whomever the hell he was working for that... Uh, that Dennis McKenna wants to cover up, right? I do but have a, the uh, the. If you want to dissect them, we don't have to. But uh, from our old McKenna episode, I do have the clip of McKenna talking about the CIA and then Dennis's smear attack against you. If you if you want well, to, I, we can I go did a those. whole video on that, which should be up on my backup channel on YouTube. If people want to, okay, know, yeah, I can just link out. to that. Then I'll link to that yeah. in our show notes. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know another one of uh, McKenna's. Uh, Biggest influences was Dr. John D, the famous spy master, you know, and all of these occult, you know, it's all occult, it's all humanism, it's all magic and spells and tricking the public, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, John D was a spy master for Queen Elizabeth I. He was a Rosicrucian, uh, tied into all of this stuff, uh, you know. So you get into all of this this crap that these guys promote, and then you have McKenna and all these guys right in the middle of it. McKenna was in Kathmandu when all of the drug smuggling stuff was going on there. Other people in the psychedelic movement tied to Kathmandu were Michael Hollingshead, who worked with Tim Leary, Ramdas, or Dick Alpert, Dick Ramdas. Um, <laughs> I uh, really like Ramdas. What's that? I really do like uh, Richard. I, I Ramdas is like of that whole crew of people. Like Ramdas is probably my favorite. Was oh, he's a big. Please don't ruin too. him for me. Oh, oh no, yeah, don't he's a total fraud. Dick Ramdas. <laughs> don't ruin Robbie D for me. Oh no. Yeah. Well, I mean, he needed to make his his homosexuality sound spiritual. So Dick Ramdas. <laughs> I never. So oh my God. Uh, you know, Dick Ramdas was. Uh, 
working under uh, Aldous Huxley for MKUltra, uh, worked at the Esalen Institute that was founded by Gerald Hurd and Aldous <laughs> Huxley. That was basically the center for where they promoted all of the uh, uh, MKUltra stuff after MKUltra was essentially shut down. Uh, Castellia Foundation, Harvard Psilocybin Project that I've exposed in my articles on my website, like uh, my article in Theogens, What's in a Name, uh, I believe is where I exposed that. It could have been my article, Spies in Academic Clothing. Um, part of the Good Friday Experiment, uh, you know, the, the psychedelic experience in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And so you got to realize that uh, the, the, even the name psychedelic was a marketing campaign, which I exposed in my article, Enthugens, What's in a Name? I go through all of the history of the psychedelic words, and there was two teams that created all the words. Uh, psychedelic being created by uh, Humphrey Osmond, uh, and then he created Psychotomimetic, and then... Uh, but. Uh, the other group was Gordon Wasson and Professor Carl Ruck, and they created the word entheogen. But I go through the history of all of this stuff and show how the entire agenda was to market the drugs to the kids for the counter culture or going against your own culture or your own society and to make the young people believe that their own culture, their own society is bad. Just like all the young kids believe in this insane, uh, you know, communism stuff that's mass murdered from 148 to 202 million people in the last century alone. So, uh, right. well, but, Noah and I are both in our twenties and we, we're not communists. So yeah, there's, there's hope. Well, well, thing. good. It's unfortunate that so many young people are these days. I mean, they've really, you know, the universities have just sold kids a whole bunch of crap, but, uh, Dick Ramdas was also involved in IFIF, <laughs> the International Federation for you just Internal like Freedom. Blew my mind with it. Dick uh, that that was in large part funded by uh, Billy Mellon Hitchcock of the Mellon Banking Empire, who also owned the Millbrook Mansion, where they were doing human experiments. Where Dick Ramdas was at, Ralph Metzner, another CIA guy, was behind that. Alan Watts, uh, I have in in in. Uh, in the book Letters of Aldous Huxley, in October 1953, Alan Watts recruits uh, uh, Alan Watts for uh, MKUltra. And then Alan Watts founds the Pacifica Foundation. He creates psychedelic Orientalism and all of this stuff. And he goes on to help launch the Summer of Love. But keep in mind, the Summer of Love could not have happened if Timothy Leary hadn't gone to Congress in 1966 to request LSD and psychedelic drugs outlaw. So, you know, so Leary was playing the Hegelian dialectic. Leary goes to Congress, literally, in 1966. And let me just pull this up. I'll read it to you. Um, but he goes to Congress with Walter Boer. Now, Walter Boer's wife was Peggy Mellon Hitchcock, Billy Mellon Hitchcock's sister. And uh, so they all were smack in the middle of MKUltra. And uh, with, with Billy funding the, the Millbrook Mansion, I've been there doing research on all of this. But uh, 
Nowhere, and in, in like Walter Boert wrote Operation Mind Control in 1979, the famous book supposedly exposing MKUltra. Never once does he admit that his wife was Peggy Mellon Hitchcock, that she funded the Millbrook Mansion, that he was close pals with Timothy Leary, etc. You know, they all these guys cover this stuff up. So um, let me just find this this quote for you. And do you think? Do you think, because uh, I know you probably have a, a different opinion than you did on Rogan years and years ago, uh, probably, well, yeah, I'm sure it's changed because I heard you on Alex Jones and I've watched uh, some of your other stuff on YouTube. So do you think there is any positive benefit to psychedelics or would it all well, be bad? You know, I know you call them suggestions, which I think is true. There's any positive benefits and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, if you're an opium addict and you want to take Ibogaine to completely get off it fast, that's a benefit. I don't trust the studies coming out of MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, you know, like, like, uh, Rick Doblin, I've been informed from people like Robert Forty that Rick Doblin uh, had went to Mothers Against Drunk Drivers and did a bunch of uh, media PR campaigns to get MDMA or ecstasy outlawed and then found maps to get it legalized for medical research and use. What the hell? So just Matt, Rick Doblin, Doblin and, and Maps follow me on Twitter. Maybe I should, I don't know. I should tell Doblin has always given me weird vibes every time I see an interview yeah, with him. Yeah, you know, and I've interviewed him. I've met him a number of times. And yeah, but I don't trust that guy at all. I don't trust the studies coming out of Johns Hopkins University by guys like uh, Dr. Roland Griffiths and stuff. Johns Hopkins was always a big MK Ultra school where they were doing a lot of human experiments. Well, so, yeah, and Hopkins is now involved in this whole COVID-19 lockdown bullshit. Who is? John Hopkins, uh, a lot yeah, of their studies. I, I, have been... I wouldn't be surprised at all. It's all social engineering. Right. So once you once you see how the social engineering works, you just see them roll it out in a different way. So yeah, let me and Hopkins this. had this study this is... that came out that was uh, it, 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 one of the people at John Hopkins had the study that came out, and it was basically saying uh, it, it was a breakdown of how COVID nineteen supposedly caused all these death deaths worldwide, but there were no more expected deaths than usual. In 2020, right, exactly, and then Hopkins yeah, no, no, no. Uh, fired zero, that researcher. Zero increase of deaths for the last year. But let me uh, let me read you this. So one of the most common arguments I hear is, well, you know, if the government wanted us to take psychedelics, why are they illegal? Well, I'll tell you why. So number one, kids don't do <clears throat> rebellious teenagers don't do. Uh, chemicals called psychotomimetics or mimicking psychosis. The whole thing was a marketing campaign and the Harvard Social Relations Department was behind it with Henry A. Murray, Dr. Thomas Chiu, Dr. Timothy Leary, Frank Metzner. Uh, all these guys were in that department that became basically the psychedelic gurus later on. And all, you know, uh, the famous, uh, you know, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was in that same department and uh, he was actually trying to blow all of them apart for what they did to him and their human experiments on him. But let, anyway, Kaczynski, let me... This, is, this might be controversial, but Ted Kaczynski is an American hero, in my opinion. Well, I won't <laughs> agree or disagree with that. Um, <laughs> he was right, though. 
Yeah, you know, obviously. So, and he was a math professor, but he was really pissed off. So anyway, most people's, the, the most common argument I hear, well, why, if, if the government wanted us to take psychedelics, why are they illegal? Well, you, you do a, a social public relations campaign and you get the public to think that Timothy Leary's spiritual message is being suppressed. Mind you, he worked for the Harvard Social Relations Department and he admits that he was recruited to the CIA, which I'll read in just a minute. Senator Dodd, do you think that the drug needs to be put under control and restriction? Dr. Leary, pardon, sir. Senator Dodd, let me read my question. Don't you feel that LSD should be put under some control or restriction as to its use? Dr. Leary, yes, sir. Senator Dodd, as to its sale, its possession, and its use? Dr. Leary, I definitely do. In the first place, I think that the 1965 Drug Control Act, which this committee, <coughs> I understand, sponsored, is the high watermark in such legislation. And then skipping to the next page in the uh, congressional record. Yes, sir, I agree completely with your bill, the 1965 Drug Control Act. I think this is the Senator Dodd. That the federal government and state governments ought to control it? Dr. Leary, exactly. I am in 100% agreement with the 1965 drug control bill. Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts. So there shouldn't be, Dr. Leary. I wish the states, I might add, would follow the wisdom of this committee and the Senate and Congress of the United States and follow your lead with exactly that kind of legislation. Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts. So there should not be indiscriminate distribution of this drug, should there? Dr. Leary, I have never suggested that, sir. I have never urged anyone to take LSD. I have always deplored indiscriminate or unprepared use. This is the LSD guru saying this crap on the congressional record. Wow. So, you know, and this is from the, uh, so now keep in mind, I have 26 shelf feed of books on psychedelic drugs. I have pretty much, you know, every book from the 1930s forward, except for the new, new age crap that gets printed by Park Street Press. But, uh, so, you know, one of the things is, you know, and Walter Board, he does a lot of spin in his book, uh, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate. But Bork claims that there was a reversal of policy, but he doesn't mention that he went with Leary before Congress in 1966 when Leary requested LSD's outlaw, furthering the apparent dialectic started by Dr. Andrew Weil with Leary getting, quote unquote, fired from Harvard. And so that whole quote that I read is from the Nar Narcotic Rehabilitation Act of 1966, hearings before a special subcommittee, 89th Congress, second session. So that, that whole thing, that I had to go to the Congressional Archives to find that. I would find like a half a sentence taken totally out of context. So I was really cur curious and I went through all of my books couldn't find it. So I ended up having to take a trip to the Congressional Archives to pull that. 
And then, you know, that exposed the whole thing that Leary is who actually requested the drugs outlaw. And then he became the spiritual drug guru. And if, you know, he couldn't have done it before the drugs were outlawed. So let me read you this quote as well. I proceeded as an intelligence agent since 1962, understanding that the next war for control of this planet and beyond had to do with con the control of consciousness. Yes, he answered strongly, I was a witting agent of the CIA. Walter Bowart, quoting Timothy Leary. Now, Timothy Leary introduced Walter Bowart to Peggy Mellon Hitchcock. Walter Bowart's wife, Peggy Mellon Hitchcock, got Timothy Leary... The, Mel the Millbrook Mansion, Peggy Mellon Hitchcock's brother, Billy Mellon Hitchcock, uh, funded the research. He was a mass uh, LSD. He was running uh, Billy Hitchcock LSD Enterprises, in fact, producing LSD and selling it on the streets and everything. So this is the nexus of what these guys were doing. This That's why like I love you, man, is because you, man, you bring receipts, you do your research. Now... It seems fairly evident that the modern day psychedelic movement is MKUltra being fully launched. And I think uh, if that's the case, and it seems likely, I was oh, it's, definitely it's, roped I'm, in by I'm it. I'm positive it is. I have no doubt. So the, the question I have, and this is kind of a rewording of an earlier question, but I guess in more modern day, like... Does that make somebody like a Joe Rogan, does that make them a willing participant uh, or a plotter of MKUltra? Yeah, or, a willing or are they participant a, or, or a, a victim? Idiot. Is he a victim? Is he a victim of it? <clears throat> there's two categories. There's willing participants and there's willful idiots, right? Mm -hmm. And being that I was friends with Rogan for eight years and being that I tried to tell him all of this stuff and being that I went on his show and being that I even showed him the documents in his face and I had my whole box of documents beside me at his house, well, he can't be a willful idiot. So that so leaves he's the not other a victim option. of uh, he's not a victim of MK Ultra. Then he, but so what does that mean? Does that mean somebody's paying him to push this shit? Like what is so? I, I, so you mean like you know the the number one podcaster in the world who makes like a half you know quarter half million dollars an episode? Is he getting <laughs> well, paid to promote yeah, this well, shit? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, so you, so it, and I guess. So I don't when know. I, I'm thinking when I started my I... podcast, when I started my podcast back in like 2008, I had probably one of the top 10 or 20 podcasts in the world. And when I wouldn't tote the line, and when I came out exposing everything, they quickly pushed me aside. I was working with 65 professors and researchers and authors. And not one of them to this day has ever addressed any of the actual research and citations that I've published. They all ad hominem attacked me and ridiculed me and tried to get me back into line. And you are heavily just, shadow just banned. Like, like just to just in case people who aren't familiar with you are listening, you are very heavily shadow banned. Like it's oh, yeah. crazy. Well, you know, and and think of that that ridiculous video that Dennis McKenna did, right? Mm -hmm. And and get this, so Dennis McKenna recorded that video at the Gathering of the Minds conference, or no, at the Free Your Mind conference put together by Mark, uh, Satanist Mark Passio, right? I was supposed to be at that same uh, thing, and I started suspecting a lot of crap going on with Passio, and 
I sent them back the money for my ticket to fly out there for that one. So Dennis McKenna sat there. You know, I think their goal was to have the two of us in the room together and fight it out, not physically, but argue it out or some other kind of crap. Or they were going to try to make me look foolish or whatever, you know, by by Dennis pulling that crap, you know, and he's got that idiot sitting next to him in that little interview, like <laughs> shaking his head. Yeah, you know, just like going along with it. Total, total dipshit. But, you know, here's <laughs> another quote, you know, for people. This is from a uh, uh, 1979 uh, MKUltra reunion party that I've posted on my uh, YouTube page, and it's up on my site. You, it can be found under my Spies and Academic Clothing article. So, Timothy Leary. Then there's, of course, uh, then there, of course, was the coolness of the um, cell, or whatever you want to call it. But they kept a, you kept a uh, Sidney Cohen. Would you mind not calling it a cell? Let's call it a Custer. Leary. All right. Our undercover agents in Los Angeles were very cool about, uh, and yet they did more in a very laid back way. Uh, and it's been, and it's never been as public as some of the other, you know, the buses running around the country painted in day glow. He's admitting that Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters were all undercover agents there. It was all a psyop. And there wasn't just one Ken Kesey, Merry Prankster bus. There was like three or four of them going around in different places. So, and, you know, and you can just look at the different models of the buses and the different photos and stuff. They're completely different buses, different license plates, different models. And, you know, it's it's all just uh, a big dog and pony show. But going back to um, if I could interject uh, just for one for one second, it, I, uh, does it bum you? Because to me, this this is a bummer to me because I was big into psychedelic culture and I think I got a big benefit out of it. And I really do. McKenna kind of creeped me out, but like people like Alan Watts and Ramdas, I loved hearing their stuff. And well, no, well, I so did, Alan Watts, he's a big time freaking fraud, dude. So let's right. segue over to but him. But what I was going to we'll ask is, back. like, is it does it bum you out since you were kind of in, way before my time? But does it bum you out that you were into this kind of yeah, stuff and then realized it was out all 20 fake? Years ago, about it, you know. So, right. You know, I, I'd rather know the truth. You know, and Alan Watts, like I said, he was he was recruited to MK Ultra in uh, October of 1953. Three, I believe, if I remember the citation correctly, but uh, he was, he was. Uh, there's, there's a, a Alan Watts houseboat summit recording out there that you can hear them uh, saying exactly what they're going to do to the public, and he was another person on the, you know, if if board, uh, like I said, you know, Pacifica Foundation. He created or he spread what was known as the double bind. And the double bind was created by Gregory Bateson, who was a co-founder of the CIA. Gregory Bateson and Margaret Mead heavily tied into uh, MKUltra. But the double bind was, uh, you know, was an idea create, to create a, a basically a mental block to get people confused into a... Uh, into a, a paradox or a dialectic or whatever uh, while they were meditating. You know, oh, you got to destroy your ego and all this stuff. That was 
That shit was created by the CIA. You know, I've met Alan see, Watts. See, that bums son, me totally out, man. Idiot. It means like, huh? you know how much time I've wasted. <laughs> that bums me out, dude. That's like that's a bummer, man. Well, you know, you can still study these people, knowing you know what their agenda is. You just don't have to buy into it. Right. He was a member of the Hollyhock Institute. He was at the Millbrook Mansion. He created you know some of the MK Ultra cults. So you know, let's just let's go into this for a minute. The MK Ultra cults. Mm. Alan Watts. Well, he comes up number one right at the top. Alan Watts, Zen Buddhist double bind cult. Bill Wilson, Al- Alcoholics Anon- Anonymous cult. L. Ron Hubbard, and these people were pretty much all involved with MK Ultra in one way or another. L. Ron Hubbard, Church of Scientology cult. L. Ron Hubbard was uh, Office of Navy Intelligence. Uh, Jim Jones, Jonestown cult ended in mass murder. Once O and I, always O and I. Michael Murphy, the Esalen cult, Dick Price, Esalen cult, Dr. Andrea Puharich, which I mentioned earlier, the Council of Nine and Yuri Geller and Arigo cults, Guy Bannister, UFO cults, Steve Jobs, Apple cult, Timothy Wait Leary, a minute, wait a minute. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Guy Bannister, the guy that was tied in with the Kennedy assassination, the FBI guy? Yeah. In New Orleans? I'd, you know, let's not segue too much. I just want to keep on topic here. Sorry. Uh, that just, Timothy that Leary. If if cult, uh, uh, let's see, psychedelic revolution and psychedelic Orientalism, farmer John Griggs, Brotherhood of Eternal Love, cult and mafia, Allen Ginsberg, if if, psychedelic revolution, psychedelic Orientalism and pedophilia, Mircea Eliade, the Wicca cult, Houston Smith, if if, Eleusinian mysteries, psychedelic Orientalism. Charles Manson, the Manson family cult, obviously ended in mass murder. Uh, Albert Hoffman, the Bicycle Day cult. Terrence McKenna, 2012, Mushroom Stoned Ape and Archaic Revival cults. Daniel Pinchbeck, 2012, Mushroom and Ascendance cults. Aldous Huxley, Psychedelic Revolution, Esalen cults, and of course, MKUltra itself. Ramdas, Be Here Now, If If cults. Uh, Ken Kesey, Mary Prankster cult, Gordon Wasson, Mushrooms is Finding God cult, Ulysses cult, Carl Ruck, Demeter cult, Al Hubbard, LSD cult, Margaret Mead and Wilhelm Reich, Se- Sexual Liberation cult, John Paul Rosenberg or Werner Erhard, Landmark Education cult, Vito Palakis, Freaks cult, Arthur Kleps, the Boohoo cult, Gloria Steinem, the, Se- the Feminism cult, uh, Marilyn Ferguson, Aquarius Conspiracy Cult, Carlos Castaneda, Neo-Shamanism, Don Juan Cult, Transegrity Cult, which ended in mass suicide, Peter Furst and Barbara Meyerhoff, the phony Witchel and Neo-Shamanism Cults, Gregory Bateson, Native Revivalism, Double Bind Cults, Aldous Huxley, Transhumanism, or no, sorry, Julian Huxley, Transhumanism Cults, uh, Joseph Campbell, Power of Myth, Star Wars cults, and uh, there's also the, uh, oh shoot, right when I go to say it, I forget, a whole other project. Uh, I thought George Lucas images, was the Star changing, Wars cult. Changing Images of Man cult with uh, Stanford Research Institute. What'd you say? I, just, I was being retarded. I said I thought George Lucas was the Star Wars cult. Uh, well, well, who do you think came up with the mythology for George Lucas's stuff? Oh, uh, Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Uh, Joseph Campbell wrote a book on it, The Power of Myth. 
So that's well. I'll tell you what, what you have about. successfully ruined Ramdas for me because now every time I hear his name, I'm gonna think Ramdas. So thanks for no, that. Dick Dick Ramdas. <laughs> Dick dude. Ramdas. Thanks for that. I pre- <laughs> uh, so uh, and then we have Alfred Kinsey, pedophile and Namblecold, Steve Gaskin, Ten- Tennessee Farm, Church of Sandy Hook Colts, John Perry Barlow, EFF, Grateful Dead Colts. Alex Gray, Art Temple, New York Colts, Grateful Dead, Following Colt. Alex Gray is another guy that's always weirded me out. Richard Bandler, the NLP Colt, John Grinder, NLP Colt, Marshall Rosenberg, NVC Colt, Rianne Eisler, who worked with Terrence McKenna, NVC Colt, Dominator Colt, uh, Culture Colt, Michael J. Harner, Shamanism Drum Colt, Church of Satan Colt, Anton LaVey, Church of Satan Colt, Kenneth Anger, Process Church, and then Paul Twitchell, Eckenkar Cult. And these are just some of them that I've named and tracked over the last decade or more. You know, so, I mean, yeah, you know, these guys are thick. They pretty much, you know, so if you think of all of this stuff as a secondary catch web, so their goal is to spread all of these lies and disinformation about Christianity and get people to think that the Bible doesn't teach anything of value, that there's that reality isn't real. You can't have any gain by following the ethics and morality that the Bible and especially the New Testament teaches. That was all junk. You got to follow our cult. So they create all of these secondary catch webs so that you may not, you know, you, you go out of Christianity and you may not fall in this cult, but they've got this other one and this other one. And this other one and this other one, and they keep going and going. Mm-hmm. So you'll get caught up and waste your time in one of these many cults and distractions and rabbit holes that they've created. You know, so it just keeps going on and on forever. You know, um, I'm just trying to get back to Terrence McKenna here, but uh, Terrence McKenna heavily influenced by cybernetics. Uh, he went to the Joseph Tussman uh, School for, let me see here, Joseph Tussman Experimental College um, that was Army, uh, Joseph Tussman was Army Intelligence, and it was a totally different experimental college that, that McKenna went to, and that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down Um but uh, so McKenna was into promoting these new age movements, this eugenics, this we got to limit male birth, all of the feminism. He admits he's a humanist and a feminist and he's selling all of this crap. And of course, he what is a Hancock. What's that? What is a humanist? Isn't that just pro-human? What's a humanist? No. So a humanist is basically that the, the government is here and I'll let me pull that up. I just have never heard that term, or maybe I have, but I don't remember hearing that term before, humanist. I've, I know transhumanism. Humanism is a big thing in all of these psychedelic people's uh, thing. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to throw see. you off. I just have never heard the term humanist. So, so that ba- basically it's like the state being superior to the individual. It's, it's another sort of form oh. of communism, right? Oh, well, fuck that, yeah. You know, so they they promote a lot of social uh, degradation, so social iniquity type of stuff. 
But from my research and understanding of it, it comes down into slavery, essentially. You know, so. But yeah, you know, McKenna's right in the middle of all of this stuff. So, you know, that's that's why they didn't like me exposing it. McKenna is also who created the original method for growing psilocybe mushrooms at home, magic mushrooms. And of course, yeah. what they don't he want you really to know. made it really easy to do, that's for sure. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and what they don't want you to know is that the Aztecs used mushrooms for human sacrifice and suicide. Yeah, are they the ones that talked to Quetzalcoatl and like uh, the giant sky serpent they would all collectively uh, see? Yeah, who is the other group? You might be thinking of the other one. Um, I might be thinking of the Mayans. Yeah, you might be thinking of the Mayans. But uh, let me just pull this up here. I'm going to read you some of the quotes that they don't tell you about while they get all these poor young people caught into uh, psychedelic drugs. So all of the books that I've ever read on this subject misquote the Aztec or the Mexica texts, or they omit whole segments to promote this whole agenda to the kids. And, you know, it's funny is I've gotten used copies of these books and other people had highlighted it on the mushrooms. So clearly other people knew that it was all a fraud. You know, you get a copy from the library or something, somebody else has been on the same trail. It's like, huh. So uh, let me just see here. Some of these quotes are pretty funny. I think they are anyway. But yeah, you know, when you, so when you hear these quotes, and I'm just looking for them, scanning for them, uh, hold in your minds, hold in your mind the thought of your average hippie of today. All right. So all right. these are from, uh, let's see. These are from the Florentine Codex, which was from the, I forget the year, like 1590s or something like that. And these are being written by Nahuatl or Aztec informants for Friar Bernardo or Bernardino de Sahugan. And this is from book 10 called The People, page 37. The Lewd Youth. The Lewd Youth is a madman. He goes about drinking crude wine, a drunkard, foolish, dejected, a drunk, a sot. He goes about eating mushrooms. He goes about demented. He is restless, dissolute, shameless, presumptuous, lewd, tattling, wicked, a vile brute, brazen. He is impudent. He consumes his inner substance. He is vain, proud, debauched, a pleasure seeker, a libertine, revolting, filthy, vicious, a keeper of mistresses, a talker. He lives in concubinage. He is given to pleasure. Yeah. I, Sounds I, like a pick. Pick any hippie you know today, right? Just about. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely true. Uh, by, by the way, Noah um, texted me a little while ago. He his internet is down now. We're both here in Tennessee, so there must be something in the air. But he wanted me to tell you that he uh, enjoyed talking to you and he is going to listen to the rest of this later on once I post it. But um, I, I guess to, to wrap up, unless you had anything else on McKenna, I really want to know, 
because because you've laid out a good picture of why you shouldn't trust these people and these uh, cults that uh, that have been laid out these traps that have been laid out before us. But you uh, you've laid out a really and it, people should go to your website logosmedia.com for your your course on trivium. Like if you could just talk a little bit about that, like the well, rules of critical thinking. They can also go thinking. to uh, triviumeducation.com. Right. If, yeah, I guess to wrap up, if we could just talk about like how to it to avoid these pitfalls. Yeah, like the the what's the trivium uh, like basics to avoid critical uh, a lack of critical thinking. Well, the trivium method, the trivium has been around in one form or another probably for eight hundred thousand years, if I recall correctly. It's been a long time since I've researched the origins on it, but uh, it's essentially a, a method of critical thinking or the primary method of critical thinking that all the Ivy League schools and most colleges used to teach. Um, most people were taught it in the 1800s in the single room schoolhouses. Uh, this is why most people today can't even understand a book that was written by someone in the 1800s or 1700s or before because they were much better written, much better educated, despite all the propaganda and whatnot uh, against them. Um, but the trivium method is basically laying out a systematic pattern for how you gather information and reviewing it. <clears throat> uh, if any new information comes in, you know what information you've already gone over. It's easy for you to go back and fact check uh, when somebody gives you a new piece of information or whatever, if it fits in or if it's garbage or, or whatever. But it's based on general grammar, Aristotelian logic, and Socratic rhetoric. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, my throat's getting a little sore. <clears throat> so... And it, it, so we, it's basically knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And it breaks down even simpler for stuff that we all learn sometime between third and fifth grade. Who, what, where, and when. That's your general grammar or your knowledge. Then your why is your understanding or your logic. And then your how which is your rhetoric or your, your wisdom, your rhetoric or your explanation. So whenever, you know, mo most people that you meet in life, they will put their logic before their grammar. And this is general grammar. It's not specific grammar. It's not dealing with the parts of the words. It's dealing with parts of reality. Like, you know, if you're investigating something, the who, the what, the where, the when, if you're doing a building, what are you building, you know, where are you building it, when are you building it, the parts that you're building it with, what it's going to look like, all of this kind of stuff. Um, if you're doing a painting, it works in painting, what type of paints are you using, what type of canvas, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it's the foundation of all basically, well, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in the universe. And then there's a higher level, the, the quadrivium that's it's arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. But the, they're always in that order. General grammar, Aristotelian logic, and then Socratic 
uh, rhetoric. So if you know what you'll see is people will try to put their conclusions before their research and they're horribly annoying to try to deal with. Most people believe they know a subject before they've ever actually studied it because of what they heard on TV or through some magazine or on a song, you know, rock song on the radio or whatever. And that's the extent of their research. And, you know, it, so essentially, if you haven't asked yourself who, what, where and when before you've tried to understand something, before you've ex tried to explain it to somebody else, there's probably an 85% chance that you're completely wrong and totally full of crap. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if we if we go through a mental process, did I ask myself these questions? Who, what, where, and when? Yes, okay, then I can go to why. And, you know, under the why aspect, you're basically, you're, you're applying logic there. And you're looking, so in, in logic, there are no contradictions in nature. A contradiction is always, and without exception, a lie or an error. So most people, when they see a contradiction, they throw their arms up and they say, contradictions are like assholes, everybody's got one. Well, a contradiction is always a liar and error. So rather than throwing your arms up in the air, what you need is more general grammar. So you go back to the first step and ask who, what, where, and when, and you dig further down into the information until there are no more contradictions, and then you have that aha or that epiphany moment. But you apply the logic and, you know, having a, a basic understanding of the logical fallacies helps a lot. You know, what's an ad hominem attack? What's a poisoning the well? What's an appeal to ridicule? Uh, you know, what's a lesser to the greater fallacy or, you know, genetic fallacy, etc. All of these different things, uh, slippery slope fallacy, no true Scotsman fallacy. There's... And people are always thinking of new ways to lie. But if you know the, the basic, like, and I sell even bookmarks on my Trivium and Logos Media website for people just so that they can memorize the basic logical fallacies. Because if you can memorize those, first, what's going to happen is you're going to start, well, you know, you, you start looking out into any information that's coming in and you can spot the fallacies. It's like you listen to a radio commercial. Ah, that's this fallacy. You're, you're watching Anderson Cooper on CNN and you're like, oh, that was that fallacy, that fallacy, that fallacy, that fallacy, and that fallacy. I mean, the guy's <laughs> right. just a mouthful of crap, you know. And so then you can start, it becomes sort of like a mental jujitsu and you can defend, if you can defend your mind, you can defend your family and your loved ones from liars and manipulators, from people who want to do you harm, whether or not it's indirect or direct, you know, so like a Terrence McKenna, right? So, or veganism. So this way you begin to look at things for the facts. What are the facts that I'm looking at? What is that general grammar? Have I researched this? Let me look up each of these particular things. Is this what I want to be true or is it really true? And a lot of people have a really hard time admitting when they're wrong. The first thing you have to learn when you learn the trivium is each time you realize you were wrong about something, just laugh it off, you know, and just, okay, oh, I was wrong about that. And then you just admit it. 
And after a while, it becomes super easy to admit when you're wrong on a certain thing, like Alan Watts or Dick, Dick Ramdass or, or whatever the case may be, right? So <clears throat> once you have those logical fallacies, you can spot the lies coming in through your five senses. And not only that, after a couple of months, you'll start doing an inventory of your own mind and catching the fallacies in your own thoughts and, and your own false beliefs. Did I fact check that? Did I fact check that? What's my grammar on this? And pretty soon you'll start throwing everything out and then rebuilding it with an inventory of factual information that you know is true and verified. And then if, if somebody comes back to you and wants to see your information on it, you can take them back to the primary sources and material and say, this is the general grammar that I have on this topic. So, and then you, you know, after you go through the, the general grammar and the logic or your knowledge and understanding, then you can go to the explanation or the how you reach that conclusion. How did I get here? How did I, you know, so you're, that's your rhetoric and your explanation. It's like your Chilton's manual right or you know for the auto mechanics out there or whatever it's like uh the like if you built a model airplane as a kid or a model car it's the how to put the thing together the parts all those little parts would be the general grammar and then the logic is getting it all together and then the you can explain it to somebody else how you put it together or the the instruction manual of how to put all the parts together is also the how so, you know, if you go, and we're all taught this in elementary school, but we're not taught the significance of what it really is. And, you know, you'll be watching TV like detective shows or investigative shows are really good at this. They'll show it right on a chalkboard or on a dry write board or something. You'll be watching a movie and they'll be after a criminal and they'll have on the board who, what, where, when, why, and how right there. But that's not just how you solve murders, you know, that's how you solve anything. That's how you figure out what you're going to do, you know. And then if you add the quadrivium on top of it with the arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy, you have a whole package. And there's ethics and stuff like that above that that, that couple in with it all. But this founds, or this is the foundation of what was originally the true liberal arts or liberal education that taught the mind to be free. And so without this, people become slaves to their own minds and to the false beliefs and ideas that the charlatans like McKenna and Aldous Huxley and the Julian Huxley and, and, uh, Oh, uh, Alistair Crowley and all these guys, put out there, you're, you become sort of shielded from that stuff or you can see it, you know, right. and, and uh, I, you know, so I would then, encourage people to apply the trivium method to what's going the the quote unquote science around this whole COVID thing and masks. Oh, and yeah. Lockdowns well, and they'll tell you straight is, up that, you know, I, I saw a newspaper, I don't know, six months ago. Oh, people shouldn't do their own research and stuff. Leave it to the scientists. Yeah. Well, scientism <laughs> is a religion and the oh, peer really review is. system is often fraudulent because the peer review system is there to maintain the status quo. 
you know, I've gone in using this method into entire fields of academic study, pulled out all the professor's books, gone into their primaries, and showed that all of them were either incompetent or complicit frauds. And it's not hard to do once you, you know, it. you'll kind of stumble at first as you start going, okay, who, what, where, when, then why, then how, and that feels kind of awkward at first. But after like 12 months or 18 months, it becomes fluid and you just do it naturally. And then, you know, and you don't even notice you're doing it. You'll hear somebody speak a fallacy and it's just like, oh, boom, oh, that's that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you see crap coming across on the news media and it's like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, and you can see the underlying agenda. You know, it's like these ridiculous impeachment trials against Trump. I mean, one fallacy after the other, after the other, after the other. Um, you know, all it, or watching MSNBC or CNN or all of the fake news media, Trump would call them fake news because they're literally spewing crap to the public that if they spent five minutes asking who, what, where, and when and fact-checking, they would realize right away is completely false information. Well, I'm reliably informed by my QAnon buddies that March 6th, Trump will be inaugurated and that Biden isn't actually president, so... <laughs> yes. Well, don't hold your breath. I think yeah. we'd be burying you. Uh, well, man, thanks so much for taking it. Is there anything else we need to talk about? Or definitely um, people need to go to logosmedia.com and, and anything. What are you working on now? What else What else you got? Well, to you know, on? I've just been taking a break from the show. My, my main channel was deleted off of YouTube uh, the day after my 12th anniversary show on like October 30th or something like that last year. And I've just been enjoying a little break and uh, doing some projects and hobbies and getting caught up on other stuff and, you know, just enjoying being out of the fray, really. This is actually the first interview I've done in like four months. Oh, well, man, we really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, Noah's, Noah wants to thank you as well. Um, but yeah, uh, logosmedia.com, anything else? Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I plan on donating on the PayPal. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, contact at logosmedia.com, L-O-G-O-S media.com. They can PayPal to that if they want to send donations. It's much appreciated. You know, it's taken years and years of work and a lot of money and expenses and a lot of travel and a lot of time sitting in dirty library archives going through stuff to uh, dig a lot of this stuff out. So I always appreciate any support and, and whatnot on all of this. And... Uh, you know, send, you know, words of appreciation or also, uh, uh, you know, welcome if you can't afford to send five or ten bucks or whatever you can afford to to send. And, uh, you know, I, I keep what I can. There's probably 200 shows up on the backup channel on YouTube as well as on BitChute. So, uh, you know, check those out. And if people want to get an archive of all of the shows you know, for like 160 bucks, I'll send you everything on audio. If you send me 200 bucks, I'll uh, put all of the shows, all of the audio shows up until where I start a video, and then I'll include all of the video shows on a flash drive, and I'll send that to you. But you know, a 500 gig flash drive, I got to pay for that stuff and whatnot. So it just you know it supports the research and all. But I'll send you like 
everything, you know. All the way back from when I was still bought into it to when I woke up and all the way through all 12 years of stuff. You'll never want to hear my voice again after going through a thousand hours of that stuff. <laughs> well, your, your journey has been super interesting, man. And uh, people that aren't familiar with you, I'd, I'd recommend just go and doing a deep dive on all your stuff. And yeah, support uh, support the work because you do a you're, you're putting in the work, man. Like you, There's very few people that are as well researched as you, and I appreciate that. Well, thanks for that, Chris, and uh, much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. That was Jan Irvin. a six pack. B S N A six, the number P A C K dot com. Your grandfather talks about that Fucking shit. Hates technology. Says it's overtaking us. Does he used he? to say that all the time. Well, I think anybody <laughs> who grew we, up, we did our grandfather's an older guy. He grew up yeah. in a time where there was no phones and no yeah. nothing. We and, put a we put out a documentary last November called uh, "What You've Been Missing," episode one, uh, "The Noble Lie," which goes into this whole use of technology to dumb us down. So anybody wants to check that out, look it up. I think it's a silly argument. I don't think I, I don't think it dumbs us down. I think there are dumber people than ever. Well, but it's, it's, it's because life they, it's because life has become easy for them. It's easy to become dumb. Well, check out check out the how they're they're doing it. They're using the, the BF Skinner's ideas from the Skinner box and how they controlled animals and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of what Edward is, Bernays. What stuff. are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, Skinner, the Skinner box is a box that they would put uh, pigeons and rats and things like that in and get them to do certain things for food or whatever on a stimuli. And they've learned to apply that stuff directly to computer games and to uh you know purchasing in the grocery stores and thing like things like that but how, what, check how out check out our check out it's you know it's an hour and a half long documentary just you know what you've been missing episode 1 check it out sometime what you've been missing episode 1 and uh, the, the right okay and they can they can go to the gnostic media website and and click on the videos thing there and it'll be right there okay okay and the uh, what is the conclusion well, that there are certain people using marketing and advertising and computer technology uh, to specifically to mind control people, and it's very very simple to do. Is it mind control? It's or mind, is it, yeah, it's, it's getting, mind control at, at face value. When once you see how it works, it's just it's real blatant. Do you accept the argument though that marketing is mind control and that getting people obsessed well, see, with right, certain well, see, objects? See, the Absolutely. thing how mind control works is you know I mentioned this trivium thing earlier by people not having the trivium. That's what enables marketing and public relations, the pol political system, the law system that we have today. That's what enables it to work. Right. That stuff wouldn't be able to function. That's, that's at why all. it doesn't work on any intelligent person. Any no intelligent person watches any nonsense propaganda on television and d buys it immediately because you've accumulated but, a certain amount you know, of information it, but if, in your if, mind. Like you know, say if if you go out and you study logical fallacies for twenty minutes and then you go study commercials, you'll see how every commercial is filled with logical fallacies. So once you can identify those logical fallacies you begin to see how they're using these lies against you everywhere and then you just block them out what's the end game though enlightenment well, well the end game is just to learn your own your own uh, gain your own autonomy your own adulthood really it's to see through the crap and and gain yourself back it, it is important though to enjoy life right it is important to do this and to figure out how to enjoy life, don't you think? That's oh, like the I, most I, I definitely see. Here, let me let me put it to you this way: in in ancient Roman times, 
They considered those who had studied the seven liberal arts as free and those who didn't were slaves. The slaves were not allowed to study the seven liberal arts, this trivium or quadrivium thing. As soon as you got free of slavery, that was the first thing you did was undertake a study of the seven liberal arts, right? So let's say nobody in our society, in, in the masses, even has that education now. So we would be considered in Roman times the slave class. Okay, so when you see the word freedom, literally, uh, which is what the word liberal is, is from the Latin word book, liber. And so liber and uh, library, liberty, these are you words. You're going that, Latin on me, bro. Isn't this uh, but this is, wait, well, hold on. Event this Horizon? Is, this is where, out. This yeah, is where freedom comes from. So when Sorry. people learn this stuff, this okay. is how they got free. So, you know, it's the difference of knowing that you're a slave Dude, we are, and we, getting free I, from I that. I totally agree with you on this. I, we're basically, this is a very complicated way of saying that our education system sucks and could possibly be set up that way on purpose. Don't dumb your audience down to too much, people. bro. It's not dumbing them down at all. Great. I'm, I'm just kind of filling in the voids here, trying to bring this show back to life. The, the idea is oh, that goodness. at one point in time, uh, people were, were taught this stuff on a regular basis, and now our education system right. is no longer a people. It's been being completely removed from people's education. Do you think that that really is on purpose? Do you think that's a, a oh design yeah? There's evidence that it was done on purpose. Really? You know, and in fact, I just saw an article by this woman Kelly from Canada Free Press yesterday talking about uh, the American uh, freedom or the American rebellion. Uh, from England was originally centered around the trivium and classical education. Okay. So when people are in uh, school today, you know, when, when they come up with some sort of a, a lesson plan for the year, is there someone who's actually saying, hey, we don't want these people smarter? Let's like dumb yes. the shit down. Yeah, and you can well, see well, that. Where is if that you, happening? Where well, is that happening? To, if people want evidence of that, they can study Charlotte Iserbeet's book. Do you believe this, Brian? No. And, and well, I, I would suggest people study two people primarily: John Taylor Gatto, and uh, he's written a very good book, uh, the American, uh, uh, the underground names. history of underground history of American education for people that read, and also Charlotte Iserbeet's book, The Dumbing Down of America, which uh, she also has a lot of primary documents in her book on the Reese Commission and how they did okay, all this let's stuff. Okay, let's say so those just two check names. it out Hold before on. you dismiss it. Let's say those two names one more time. It. You're freaking people the fuck out. <laughs> people on Twitter John right now are going. They're saying this is the most name drops anyone has ever had on a podcast. <laughs> Please fucking write this shit somewhere. I'm freaking out. People are trying John to Taylor with... Gatto and Charlotte Iserby. Okay, well, these are the last people's books we're going to tell people to read because otherwise we're going to look like a goddamn university study just go, Well, just go on my website. I've got a video up on Gatto right on my website. They can look at it there. Okay. And faster and faster. I think that's why the FDA right now is trying to do away with it because it is growing. If you knew the legislation that is going on right now, they are rating health food stores with guns and taking things out of there that like aloe vera products and they're saying they've never been tested we haven't approved it and they're taking i guarantee you this is happening right now and that's why you have to be aware and you have to educate people about it but you see at the same point at the same time they're granting the first inds for psychedelic research in 30 years so I pre instead of taking a paranoid view, I, you know, that they are against it and us, I, I just think that if you dissect these human institutions, what you find always are individuals. And uh, usually these institutions are fraught with internal conflicts mm -hmm. about what they're doing. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of mistrust, and very few people 
go around rubbing their hands together and cackling over the fact that they are committing acts of pure evil. Most people have some kind of internal story that tells them that they are doing the very best they can. It's just that there are also a lot of jug-headed misconceptions about what the best we can actually means. I'm real curious about one thing. Why is it important for you to do this? I wonder myself, um, you mean am I the uh, alien ambassador whether I like it or not? <laughs> well, I, often when asked this question I've said, you know, it beats honest work. I mean, my brother is a PhD in three subjects and uh, works in hard science and uh, uh, it, I don't think it's brought him immense happiness, not that he's despondent, but uh, I was always kind of a slider, uh, you know, and uh, certainly when I reached La Chirera in 1971, I had a price on my head by the FBI, I was running out of money, I was at the end of my rope, and then uh, they recruited me. <laughs> and said, you know, with a mouth like yours, there's a place for you in our organization. And, um, you know, I've worked in deep background positions about which the, best, the less said the better. And then, you know, about 15 years ago, they shifted me into public relations and I've been there uh, to the present. So you mentioned psilocybin a couple times, and I know that both you and Terence were, if not the first people, you definitely popularized a, a popular method for um, growing, growing mushrooms at home and, and things like right. that, your experience with mushrooms. And right. for, for the audience who, those in the audience who are well-researched in the history of psychedelics, you know of programs like MKUltra and the government's attempts to use these, pro, these type of uh, tools, because they mm -hmm. are tools or technology that can be applied for good or uh, other means. And because of that association, there are those who tend to feel like the promotion of these uh, these tools is always, you know, nefarious in some way, or trying to make people detached to, you know, not care about the world rather than to know themselves better. And uh, one way or another, Terence McKenna's name has been associated with that to some degree, and other and others within the early psychedelic days uh, having associations with CIA agents or uh, definitely there's some connections to Timothy Leary, and there's just a lot of questions. And obviously, you're uh, connection to that scene and as you know somebody else involved in that research has brought your name in there um, I, I just would like to hear your thoughts on the accusations that you or Terrence had something to do with the CIA or anything that you may have experienced to shed some light on that I mean as far as what what how interested was the government in the the early days of this research on psilocybin and all these substances well they were interested in all these things their MK ultra program and before that the you know, at the Biochemical Warfare Center at Dietrich, Fort Detrick, Maryland, they've been working with psychedelics really since the 60s, since the 50s they've had programs. And then when it began to break out into society, they got interested in that and did, you know, these, these experiments that were, you know, highly ethically dubious, like 
dosing people, you know, getting them with prostitutes and dosing the, the person in a hotel room and seeing what would happen. I mean, there's not an institutional review board on the planet that would approve that kind of thing. That's just totally outrageous. Uh, was there a connection between Terrence or me and the, the CIA? movement in general? Or? I can't speak for the psychedelic movement in general, but I can definitively tell you that neither Terrence nor I ever uh, had anything to do with the CIA. Um, um, if you're talking about the Central Intelligence Agency. Mm -hmm. Now you might say, well, I could crack a joke and say, yes, well, we work for the CIA, we work for the Cosmic Intelligence Agency. <laughs> but then some of your audience might misconstrue that. Yeah. So let me make it clear. He never worked for the CIA and neither did I. Do you know where this comes from? There's a specific talk he gave where he discusses agents and... Yes, I know where it comes from and I will dissect that right now. He said in one talk something casually about, well, I was working deep cover for a while and then they moved me into PR, right? Mm -hmm. And who the they are that's was the, never specified, but I can tell you who the they are because those remarks, Jan Irvin either wasn't paying attention or was taking them out of context or is just an idiot because the, the meaning of it is clear if you listen to the whole talk and he is talking about he worked for the mushrooms, the itself, yeah. which he did understand, correctly or not, to be actually a whether it was the mushrooms themselves or they were representative of an intelligent race that was controlling it, but he worked for the mushrooms. That was the, the they that he worked for, and he, he was deep cover, and that refers to the years when he was not in public, when he was actually in the basement growing mushrooms as furiously as he possibly could, distributing those, that's deep cover, right? Then he decided, well, this, this is not sustainable. Sooner or later, they're going to you know, catch up with me on this. So he decided to go into public relations. And he started talking about it a lot more. And that's when he became you know, the spokesman that he is. But it was, he was working for the mushrooms. And for Jan to take this and, and construe it to mean that he was working for the CIA... I mean, you, it's a really tortured uh, stretch that you have to make to make that connection, considering how it was, how it was uh, you know, the context. And also, I mean, his brother, I think I know, and we were involved in all this stuff together quite deeply. I've been to Esalen many times. Does that make me working for the CIA? Jan seems to think that everybody with having anything to do with psychedelics who happened to pass through Esalen was all part of this big conspiracy. Well, that's just utter horseshit. All kinds of people pass through Esalen. That doesn't mean that they're all involved in some conspiracy. It's, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just, it's just such sloppy thinking and uncritical thinking that I can't take it seriously. And I just... When all this comes up, I just feel like, well, you know, poor Jan. I mean, the, the guy needs to, you know, adjust his medications or something. I don't know. He's seriously deluded. Well, I appreciate you addressing it. You know, I know that there are people yeah. who are curious about that, so I figured we'd at least acknowledge well, Yeah. That. 
and you let us go on there and have Joe say, oh, he's attacking Sandy Hook families right now. He's going to be taken off air when I'm not doing that. It's the left's attacking families and doxing the Catholic youth and saying go attack them, and then they won't take the Twitter down. So see, so see Joe's just, oh, I'm Alex's friend, but he's crazy and nuts and full of crap, and, you know, uh, yeah, you know, he's being sued, so he can't be on air, and, you know, the censorship's okay, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just supposed to go, oh, that's okay. You're just the advertising arm of a giant DMT cult, an ayahuasca cult operating across the U.S., and now transnationally. So I'm just going to sit here and let you sit up on your high horse and explain to me how the cow ate the cabbage. I'm just going to roll over and die while you crap all over me. No, that's not how it works. Absolutely. Same thing to me. I mean, you and I were both friends with him. I was friends with him for almost a decade. And, you know, same, same stuff. And uh, he thinks I'm just going to roll over and uh, watch him, you know, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> defame me, slander me, uh, you know, claim that my research is, is bogus, that he, he disproved it with, uh, with Dennis McKenna, et cetera. It's nonsense. They haven't, all they did was name call, use appeals to ridicule, have uh, hit pieces ran. Is yes, I've been saying for some time that, and uh, the mushroom pointed this out to me, if every woman had only one child, the population of the planet would fall 50% in 40 years. 50% in 40 years without war, revolution, coercion, anything else. And now, when you suggest this to people, they say, well, didn't they try that in China and it failed? Yes, but you have to think about a couple of things. First of all, a, a child born to a woman in Maui or Malibu or Manhattan, that child will use between 800 and 1,000 times more resources in its lifetime than a child born to a woman in Bangladesh. Why do we preach birth control in Bangladesh? We should be preaching it on Maui, Manhattan, and Malibu because the women in those places are highly educated, socially responsible, global people, and therefore are the population most likely to respond to this suggestion. If 15% of the women in the high-tech industrial democracies were to limit their childbearing, uh, to one child, within 10 years, certain pressure indicators on the planet would begin to move away from the red and into the black. So I think that we have got to deal with this question of population. There are clearly too many people. And one woman, one child, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a psychedelic advocate to understand the impact of that. If the population of the earth were cut in half, everybody alive would be twice as wealthy. It's possible in 120 years that we could reduce the earth's population to a billion very healthy, very comfortable, very well-educated people. Okay, that's part of what the mushroom said, and I think it may seem radical in some circles, but not here, perhaps. It also said something else, which I rarely mention, but since you brought it up, there are not only too many people, there are too many men. And I would be very interested 
in seeing a set of social policies, tax incentives, medical policies, insurance policies put in place to limit male birth. It's very rare in mammal populations that you have a 50-50 ratio of male to female. And in fact, it's well known that male infants are less robust than female infants. And the reason we have a 50-50 sexual ratio is because we artificially support males and withdraw resources from females. I suspect that in the high Paleolithic, the ratio was closer to uh, two to one. And my supposition in thinking about this is probably that the best ratio is about three to one. Uh, this is the way to feminize the human race. If you're serious, this is the way to advance women. If you're serious, then what you have is less men, women whose uh, dedication to the reproductive activities is confined in time to the amount of time it takes to raise only one child. This would be tremendously uh, solitary to our problems. I've never heard it advocated, even by the most radical lesbian feminist yada yada. I've never heard anyone say male birth should be limited, but it obviously should, and through an amniocentesis and this sort of thing, we can steer ourselves toward a population with the predominance of females, and those females should have only one child, and 75% of those children should also be female. 